Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. Ed, we have another Verisage Institute colleague. Absolutely. Greg Kite, looking forward to this. And this is the last thing I need to do before getting two weeks and three days off. So let's get to it. Oh, fantastic. Well, the most important thing you need to know about Greg Kite is he is the G. Robert Newhart non-value-added fellow at the Verisage Institute. He's been a stand-up comedy since 2002, and he does a fraud and behavioral ethics course that has been attended to by literally tens of thousands of people, which I can totally believe. Greg Kite, welcome back to the Soul of Enterprise. Have you ever listened to a radio show so often <laughs> that you're disappointed when the guest is the guy who does the commercials? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> that you pay to avoid? Yeah. <laughs> sorry. So members. sorry. So yeah. sorry. <laughs> right. You got you got bail. You got duped, Patreon. You got duped. So, yeah. Well, uh, Greg, you were on last year with Dan Morris, and that's, that was Greg. That, that was Greg. Um, that was amazing. <laughs> oh, right. You're right. playing Santa's controller or something. Yeah, like um, like Snippy the Elf. That's right. What what have you been up to in in you know the year after that uh, besides oh. drunken ethics, which I want you to talk about too? Yeah, well, yeah, 2022 has actually. So I was the co-host for Jason Blummer's podcast, The Thrivecast, right. which is all about practice management things like that. I met I met Jason Blummer. That whole thing came out because. Uh, both he and I were at the same Verisage symposium in in 2011, and uh, and I don't, Ron, I'm sure you remember the story. I didn't want to go to the to the wine cave dinner because it was way expensive, and I was I didn't have uh, three three hundred fifty bucks to right. drop on a dinner. Um, and then you were like, oh yeah, that's okay. There's one other guy who doesn't want to go. And I think he's a cool person and you, you guys will have fun together. I'm like, I'm not going on a blind date with some accounting <laughs> nerd. So I was like, fine, fine. Here's my Ron. Take me to the best dinner I ever had in my life, which it was, that was amazing and absolutely worth the money by the way. But, uh, anyways, ended up he and I, uh, that Jason Blummer was the nerd that you were trying to set me up on the blind date with. We ended up getting into podcast. We did that for 10 years. Yeah. We kind of figured out podcasting together. We had a blast. He's a dear friend of mine, but after 10 years, I was like, it feels like I did this. Actually, it was after about eight and a half years. I was like, I need to stop doing the, the, Thrivecast just because it's it, it like like I said we figured it out it seemed like it, we were just doing the thing not like climbing new hills with it anymore mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and so so I gave him I gave my eighteen month notice to Jason <laughs> eighteen <laughs> months uh, yeah I was like because I because it seemed like ten years would be like a you know that seems like you did it you do you do something for an entire decade. And it's like, okay, we, we did that. And the funniest thing was as soon as I, as soon as I created scarcity in the episode, in doing that podcast, all of a sudden it was like brand new again. And I was like, this is the greatest thing. <laughs> we have so much fun. And uh, so, 
So I quit, I quit that podcast and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I did it. I'm done. And, uh, and immediately I was contacted by Caleb Newquist who was like, Hey, you want to do a podcast with me? And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't not interested. And he was like, what about a fraud podcast? No. And then he was, and I said, I, I might be interested if, if uh, we could change the world with it. And that was my very nice way of saying, no, please go away. And then about six months later, he contacted me and says, I think I have a way that we can change the world with this. And it, and it's, it's, it's more, you guys are with earmark CPE where people mm-hmm. can, yes, our stuff is platformed yeah. on there as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so, and, and it's basically where people can get continuing professional CPAs can get continuing professional education from listening to podcasts and taking quizzes on said podcasts. And that seemed like, okay, this, this is really making it so we won't just be a uh, noise in a, in a, in a huge void of podcast, you know, in the ocean of podcasts. And so we started doing, uh, Oh, my fraud, which is the fraud podcast. Um, that which has has ended up being tons of fun. We we've gotten gr- great uh, response, great reception for that podcast. It's and we we kind of try to position it as a true crime podcast. But mm-hmm. instead of you know the, the two things that, that are certain in life are death and taxes. And in our true crime podcast, we spend a lot less time on the death part and a lot more time <laughs> on the taxes part, uh, which sets us apart. Um, so, yeah, so tons of fun there. But then Blake Oliver, the guy who runs Earmark, he came to me because he knew that I taught that I'd been teaching ethics for years and years and years. And he was like, hey, the one thing that people are are asking me for that we don't have on the platform yet is an ethics course. And I had had this. I- well, I had had this idea for years of doing a, a, a webinar. I, I was thinking it'd be a webinar called Drunk Ethics, where we would we would play a drinking game while we did ethics. And it actually came up. It, it, that, that was a organic thing that came up because there was this one time I was doing uh, a webinar with, with this. Uh, I always have a co-host and we decided like right before, and it's like, you know what? Every time we say Dan Ariely, we're going to take a shot. And now, and so, so awesome. we, because, because I based so much of the, of the, of my, my, my presentation on ethics on Dan Ariely's research. And so we found out that it was very easy to get very drunk, very quickly. When you take a shot every time you say the name Dan Ariely. And uh, so that's how it was born. And I thought no one would ever be interested in picking that up. But I pitched it to Blake and he says, I love it. Let's do it. So I did a four part limited series podcast called Drunk Ethics that uh, you can consume and even get continuing education credit for through earmark. So that's those really those. So so I quit podcasting only to do way more podcasting. To do it. <laughs> Right. Well, so hey, I got a quick question on the drunk ethics, though, because I, I watched yeah. the, the, the trailer and oh. the, the, do you guys take seven shots in an hour? Yes, we take we take one. Sh- we start dude like, right, right out of the gate. We take a shot before we even barely get done with the intro and we take a shot every seven minutes and that that lands us. So, so basically that lands you all right <laughs> yeah right but but what's what's crazy there's the rum episode which i think is our third episode and the i got this plantation rum for us to take and it was delicious and and we start you know we start getting stupid uh especially like the last you know 15 20 minutes episode when everything really starts to 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 get you know to to land on you and so that episode i was like this is so good i ended up taking 10 shots on the rum the rum episode so uh and and funny backstory 
my co-host, he's a former Mormon. So he grew up not drinking a lick of alcohol on the first show. I talked to him. I was like, he knew what the show was. I he's a, he's a he's a comedy friend of mine. Uh, we do a show called Comedy Church together. We've been doing that for years. Um, and he uh, and, and he's also got an MBA that he earned from Brigham Young University, by the way, where it's a, you get kicked out for drinking alcohol at, at Brigham Young University. This guy, the most shots he'd ever had in a row in his life was two. And he signs up to be on my show where we're doing seven in an hour. And the funniest thing about that is when we're trying to line it up before we did the first show, it's like, hey, so let's do it on a Saturday. I was thinking like maybe early afternoon, like a one o'clock kind of thing. And he's like, I always my Saturdays are always really busy. Is there any way we could do it earlier? That? <laughs> that like like 11 a.m., 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. And he didn't realize that he would just be completely incapable of doing anything with anyone for the rest of the day. So moving it earlier actually made his day less productive than doing it later. But he learned he's smarter now. He's got some more life experiences. Jesus. Oh, oh, I honestly do not know if I could do seven shots and still remain vertical. Yeah. Oh, well, that was <laughs> that was the fun dynamic of, of drunk ethics, too, is that we found very quickly because I'm a former educator, too. I used to teach uh, uh, math pub- in public schools. And so what we found the dynamic was, was the more drunk we got, like he was just having fun. He was just being goofy and and he was a blast. He was so fun at the party. Me, I was like, I had to hold on to the reins even tighter the whole time. I was like, we have content that we have to deliver. communicate, even though I can barely speak. So that was the, uh, yeah, it's a fun, fun behind the scenes kind of thing there. But speaking of drunk ethics, uh, I I understand this is the uh, 420th episode of the Soul of Enterprise. It is episode 420. I wish we could say we were smart it. enough to plan that, but we I, didn't. We didn't. I, well, you no, know, yeah, you're clearly not smart enough to plan it because <laughs> I'm. I would be the worst guest if this was like a marijuana show. I'm not the right guest for the 420 show because I found very quickly that uh, that marijuana is not the uh, substance for me because f- I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't even want to throw you guys out. Of, it maybe you don't want to mention that you've used it. No, I've never had. I'm on record. I've never had marijuana. I'm the only okay. libertarian I know who's never smoked marijuana <laughs> right, and right. never fired a gun. Never fired oh, a gun. Nice. So, okay. So, Ed, here's, I, I found out quickly the two main effects on me for marijuana is it makes me sleepy and forgetful. And it's like, oh, I can take this substance that amplifies the two things that annoy me the most about my existence when I'm not on the substance. Sign me up. So, and then, but then also, like I, I try, like I think it was the third time I tried it. I, I took an edible, and uh, and after about two hours, it must have been too much or a bad batch or something. And I had like a, I had a crazy like bad trip where I started like questioning the nature of my reality, and I was convinced that everything I'd experienced up to this point was a dream. And I was about to wake up from the dream. And listen, I was going, I didn't know if when I woke up, if I would be a man or a woman, I didn't know if I was going to be a young person or an old person. I didn't know where I was going to live. But even in that terrible dream where I was going, I don't know what reality is. And I was questioning it all. The one thing I never questioned during the entire thing is that timesheets are bullshit. So I think... (laughs) I think that that's really a significant. Yeah. That what we, you know, I was like, when I wake up, I'm, am I going to, am I going to try to manage my, 
using the bill of loud no <laughs> oh no and so so and, and how, it was old, funny how old were you greg when i did that yeah 45 47 i, I really? was that, so that was your first time I was well, I, you know, I, I don't want to commit any crimes of moral turpitude. So I had to make sure everything was on the up and up before I got into got into the cannabis game. Yeah. Just just for the record, I, I did try it, but I didn't inhale. <laughs> yeah. So edibles for you, too. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I'm right there. Um, I do have to say that I uh, I do wish that I was a accountant who uh, specialized. I wish that my niche in accounting. I, I work in industry. So I, I, I work for a medical commercial real estate company and I love it. It's great. If I were to open a firm, I would really want to specialize in cannabis because according to federal law, the only thing you can deduct for taxes is cost of goods sold. So that seems like the easiest, isn't that the easiest niche yes. to have? It's like, here's your tax organizer. There's exactly three questions. <laughs> what was your beginning inventory? What was your ending inventory? And how much purchases did you make during right. the year? Awesome. Thanks. Here's your bill value cool. priced. Yep. Lovely. Yep. Lovely. Well, we are up against our first break, Greg, and we want to remind our audience that they can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, this show notes are available at thesoulofenterprise.com, as well as previews to upcoming shows. You can join our Patreon channel where you can listen to the show commercial free without interruption and no Greg Kite, except this year where you're going to hear them, hear them for an hour at patreon.com slash TSOE. And you can also rate this podcast if you go to ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Hey folks, Ed here. Ron is far too modest to tell you about his new book with Paul Dunn, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and do it. Scheduled to release on December 8th, Time's Up, the subscription business model for professional firms, is going to rock the world like the firm of the future did two decades ago. While you can't get the book until December, you can join the pre-order club by buying the book and sending us your receipt. Benefits start in August and will continue through February. For more details, visit thesoulofenterprise.com slash Time's Up. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with my hero, Greg Kite. And, and Greg, two <laughs> things. One, I'm not blowing smoke up your skirt, I promise. Your Oh My Fraud podcast is excellent. Oh. I'm a devoted that, listener, and right, I think you right guys on. do a great job. You you dive into a topic and uh, a specific fraud. You give it great coverage. You analyze it. What lessons did we learn? I just really like it. P- plus, you awaken my dad's uh, interest in Pappy Van Winkle. So now he's obsessed <laughs> yeah. with it. That's awesome. That's so, awesome. I, I was hoping to find some before we did the Pappy Van Winkle case, but it's it's so it's hard to find. And even in Utah, they have like because they don't want people mobbing. It's it's all state liquor stores in Utah, and so they don't want people mobbing the store when they hear that the Pappy Van Winkle hit. So you have to like put your name in a in a lottery for the Utah State uh, Department of Alcoholic wow. Beverage Control to to possibly get some Pappy Van Winkle. So, Unreal, but that's awesome. And the second thing is, I was in um, Vegas this week at a conference and had dinner with a guy, and I was explaining you and uh, why why you're my hero. And it was based on well, you did several videos for us that were phenomenal in the early days of Eris Age. <laughs> yeah, but those were you fun. did one. You did one. Well, you did two in particular that were parody videos. And, you know, I, I, I did explain the one that you pulled down, I think, from the web where you did it in drag, which is I, I watched oh. it the other day. I've never laughed so hard in my life. <laughs> that was outrageous, because if you watch the original video, the way you parodied the guy was just brilliant. Nice. Well, geez, thanks. That was is actually I, if I'm if I'm remembering that video right, I did one that was just a straight you parody. Did. You did a and straight then I parody. Did, basically the same thing but i in drag and that was and, and i believe i never published that publicly and, and look I'll, I'll say it i don't care because the guy knows me i know him and i don't care yeah. he's probably seen it in his feed and youtube it was a yeah. gordon gilchrist from the 2020 group in the uk uh-huh. who did a two-part <clears throat> youtube video on value pricing and he went through like seven steps on a on a you know whiteboard and so I said, Greg, you got to parody this because I didn't right. want to come back at him logically with all the dumb arguments that he made and try and refute him logically. I said, let's just parody him. We have great kite. So you did this great video. You were dressed just like him in a suit, tie, the whole thing. And then, of course, I, I said, had, and didn't I? I think I even had like a, a you had a whiteboard that had yeah, value yeah. pricing and you never touched it. Oh, but but then, which was great, which was fantastic. And you only gave six okay. uh, reason, you know, six of the principles of value pricing. He did seven. And of course, the last one was get yourself a dictaphone and repeat in it. We shall not, we shall not charge the, we shall charge the client based on the value they perceive, not the time we spend. Therefore, we must record 100% of our time. <laughs> you can play that into your dictaphone and you can listen to how stupid that sounds. Uh, but then I said, Greg, the guy's British. You got to do, you got to do it in drag. And you did it. And that just blew my mind. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. So, so much fun. I haven't, man, I haven't thought about that, that, uh, that it video is for a long hysterical. time. That's hysterical. Yeah. It's absolutely. In fact, you know, I think I told you this, but I sent the videos to Paul Kennedy, our colleague mm-hmm. in the UK, and he wrote me back. He said, which one's the parody? <laughs> <laughs> because it, yeah, 
Yep. <laughs> enough, enough said. Um, so you're a big fan of Dan Ariely. We've had him on the show. I'm a oh. big or was a big fan of his books. We've talked about behavioral economics and there's been critiques of behavioral since it came out. But tell us what your issue is now with some of the research that Dan has done. Well, before we get into that, I did I, I did not know that you guys because we had him on the uh, on the Thrivecast back when I was doing that with Jason. You did. In fact, Dude. I think that's where and, we got Dan's email. Oh, we got it from Jason. Then we had him on. He didn't, I think, he didn't give later. it to me. Nice. Well, well, here's the thing. I, I am such a fanboy of Dan Ariely that when he got on, when he came on our podcast, I was like, uh, I am going to be so brilliantly funny with this guy in the hour that we have him that he is going to ask to do work in the future with me. And I mean, I had all the just these pipe dreams of collaboration for the rest of my career. And instead, he absolutely did not enjoy my sense of humor (laughs) and somehow non-verbally like put me in the corner it, it, like because he's a he's a college professor and i felt like he was college professoring me where it's like hey you're cute i get it haha ha, but how about you let the grown-ups so, <laughs> so i didn't have i my my bubble was burst and but I, but but my regard for him stayed even even despite him shunning me when I on my chance to actually meet my hero because I love I love his research I love the I love his even the manner that he does his re- I feel like he's the, the word I've always used is impish with the way that he sets up his um right. his 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 variations on his different experiments that he does uh, so. Uh, yeah, so so he has been, and like I said, to the point where I was able to make a drinking game about mentioning his name. Um, but uh, but but yeah, so he he had a paper that was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, the PNAS. So mm-hmm. top tier scientific peer reviewed uh, publication, and. And, and it was, and this whole thing was, do you, if you sign that you're sign a statement saying, I am going to respond truthfully to the following questions before you answer those questions, you're more, that's priming you for honesty. Whereas if you were to sign something like that afterwards, it wouldn't prime you for honesty. So, so they were trying to figure out if you're going to give more honest answers signing something beforehand versus right. after. And even that's even the title, the titles of these papers are so it's like it, the title is the abstract for the paper where it's, it's like what I just said was basically the title of the paper. And so he does that. It's incredibly influential because, because he got some data from an insurance company and they were saying, Hey, we need you to record your mileage on any of your cars that you haven't insured with us yeah. for the past year. And half of the people they had them sign ahead of time that they'd be honest with it. Half of them they had signed at the end. They sent him all this data. He, he used the data to say, yep, see, this is right. If you sign beforehand, you're, you're going to be, be more honest in his book um in his books he actually talks about this both in predictably irrational and in the honest truth about dishonesty where he says he has a he has a cohort of students who take his tests to, to determine honesty and he had them sign a a statement before they took the little quiz where they could cheat and they could get money for cheating and he had him sign a statement that says i i understand that the following quiz falls under the purview of the mit code of of, of, of conduct honor. 
Right, and, right. Yeah, co- yeah, yeah, honor yeah. code. And then they signed that. And and the awesome thing was there is no MIT no, code of honor right. code. So he lied to them about there being a code that forbade them from lying. But he said he said in that by signing it before taking his his quiz, he said it eliminated cheating, which to me was bonk. I, I always felt like that was too much, but I also go, guy's a scientist. I, who am I to to argue with him? He's the he he's the ethics researcher. So why would you question his findings? His honesty, right? Right, and and super funny too because he did the same thing where he said, "Hey, how about you uh, uh, brainstorm the Ten Commandments." And then right. take this and and he and he said, well, a couple of things he said. First off, he said there were some people who couldn't even think of one of the Ten Commandments. And I'm like, don't murder. You couldn't come up with don't <laughs> don't murder. But apparently there were some people that were just that dumb that they didn't. Even, and he also said none. Nobody got all ten exactly right. But he said that just by, just the fact of trying of having to contemplate a moral code before taking the test was enough to eliminate cheating. And, it, and my favorite one of these uh, permutations of, of his experiment was he had a cohort of atheists and he had them all swear on a Bible that they wouldn't cheat before they took the test. And me, and, and by the way, just full disclosure, I, I am both an atheist and I am a silver level member of the Barack Obama fan club. So I'm I'm glad that you guys even had me on this show to begin with. I know that that bucks the trend and it kind of goes against policy, but thank you for that. Um, but as an atheist, I'm even going, oh, if somebody had me swear on a, a stack of Bibles that I wouldn't cheat, I'd be like, guess who's cheating this time? <laughs> but but he said that basically what happens is that you go, it forces you to go, ooh, am I the kind of person that cheats? And then you go, well, I'm not. I'm I'm actually, I'm. we have, all of us has a moral compass and we have to have a self-perception that says, I'm a good person. And so when you go, oh, I just promised, even though I don't believe in Bible, I did promise that I wasn't going to cheat and I'm I'm good. And so he said it eliminated cheat. All the three of those things he said eliminated cheating, which was a pretty huge uh, uh to me, that was a very huge claim. So but but none of those studies were uh were ex- were done with the scientific rigor to produce a paper. They so, can't replicate them. Yeah. Well, well, and yeah, the data can. was manipulated in the insurance right. one, right? There was like something yeah, wrong absolutely. with the spreadsheet. But it was when they tried to do they tried to replicate the findings. He and his and his uh, his cohort of people that published the first paper 10 years later, they were like, we're going to replicate those findings and show that we weren't messing around. They couldn't replicate the findings right. on the second one. And on the second one, they published the data that they used on the first one. They hadn't published it with the first paper, but for whatever reason, they decided to publish that data with the second paper. And that's where we got all the craziness with the data. And you guys talked about it on on a show that you did not too long ago, where the two biggies on the on the data manipulation, one was that there was no bell-shaped curve. It was a block. Where right. it and not only and I don't know if you guys got into it on that show or not, but but they were basically saying we had just as many grannies who drove their car only to church and back as we had pe- normal people who were in the 10 to 15,000 yes. miles a year as we had people who were 40 to 50,000 miles a year. And the thing I don't know if you guys mentioned is he also had zero people that had anything above 50,000 miles. And it's like, you're going to have some mm. weirdo who's like, I'm going to see all the national parks twice this year. Who's going to have 150,000 miles on his car for a year. And they didn't have any outliers like that either. So that was, that was wild. The other one that, that 
that I know you guys brought up was the um, there was no rounding that that when when right. you say how, how many right. miles did you put on your car this year? A lot of people go, well, it was it was about eleven thousand. But when they analyzed the the final digit of all the numbers that were reported, it was a it was a perfect uh, perfect representation that all final digits zero through nine were represented to what you would guess on a normal distribution where it should be more heavily weighted with zeros. They didn't find that. So clearly it was manipulated. There was a couple other ways that the data was flawed, but Ed, it looks like we're up against another break. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, do you a couple want me to? other ways. Oh, okay. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to make sure that this. No, uh, don't worry this about radio it. show stays on the rails, guy. No, no, I'm that's not, all right. I might be drinking mezcal today, but I can see. I can see what time it is. Um, okay. So, so the other thing that was wild is that they and and I can't even believe that the it was the the group that analyzed the data was called Data Colada, and I can't believe that they got to this level where they were able to find that in the data there there was two, there was some of the data was reported using the Calibri font and some of it was reported using the Cambria font. Did you, did you see about this? I, I vaguely remember it, this. It was about, it was about it, half and half, but here's what was crazy is they could match up one entry that was in the Calibri font with another entry that was in the Cambria font, where even if they were reporting four cars, like each of these people, one in each font were reporting four cars, even though the beginning number was different, like the, you know, the, the, your, it, you know, the, the amount that you reported at the end of the last right. year was right. different. The amounts that they changed for each car was was lined up within a, a 1000 miles of each of their four cars. Wow. So they and they were able to find that for I think I think they said for every damn entry in the data. They were able to find this thing, and and I'm just going, who 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 looks at the font in a in a spreadsheet? A spreadsheet. You've got, you've got yeah. too much time on your hands, Data Colada. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, the other thing, and this was the, this is the last thing uh, in terms of the 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 sketchiness of the data, is one of his collaborators for the paper said that he sent the data, like he got the data from the insurance company, and for some reason, I'm not sure why, the insurance company has to remain anonymous um, because right. he promised them they'd be anonymous and he's an ethical guy i tell you what so he's not going to tell who the insurance company is but he 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 like got the data and he kind of prepared the data and then he sent it to one of his collaborators and the collaborator said dan this data it actually shows the opposite of what of what we right. thought it would show where the people who signed at the end were more honest and he was like oh shoot you know what there was a glitch where it switched the column that said sign at the beginning versus sign at the end so it was like flip-flopped around that he's like give it back excuse. to me I'll, I'll fix right. it and i'll send it back which which could happen i'm going that could happen but in light of everything else to me that's just like the the bow on the package of of data fraud with that so it was a wild story okay well we're not done with this we got other things to talk about when it comes to this but uh, folks i'd like to remind you if you want to contact me or ed send us an email to ask psoe at verisage.com Ed mentioned our Patreon channel. Of course, that channel is now sponsored by 90 Minds. Be kind to your mind. Hire one. Check them out at 90minds.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. 
These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and we are back on the soul of enterprise with the g robert newhart non-value-added <laughs> fellow of the verisage institute still one of my favorite titles of all time ever uh great kite and um well and before we get to you I just want to give a shout out to blake oliver at earmark cpe you mentioned we mentioned them we were talking about them earlier but and your your show is on, on their platform as well as episodes of the soul, soul of enterprise where you can listen to them and get cpe if you're an accountant so check them out at earmarkcpe.com greg back to you so there's more to this dan Ariely story isn't there there's a little bit yeah. more to get into yes th- there absolutely is so w- first thing that that i think that i find fascinating about this well well i guess we'll get to this to, to get into the what i find so fascinating everyone so data colada sees the data they say this data is funky they push back they publish their own paper obviously dan Ariely sees it and everyone who's involved with the stu- with with the initial study and the follow up study they everyone's like yes that data is absolutely bad so there's no there's no controversy about whether or not this data is crap everybody's like yeah the data is crap but then you start going so who made the crap data and that's where things get weird because Dan Ariely, he he is at he he published a statement where he's like this this wasn't me the data is wrong we didn't do we we didn't lie on this and and we're going to continue to produce high quality studies and we will be vindicated and this will end up just being a blip in the past and it's no big deal we we're not at fault we were given bad data we should have been better at vetting the data rather than just using the data that you know that was the mayor that was the only mea culpa that Dan Ariel Ellie did was I should have I should have caught that before I published the paper and that was and that was it but he 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 will not cop to altering the data himself he says he received it the the insurance company they they like sterilized the data before they gave it to him like you know it's one of those things where it's like we're not probably legally we can't tell you who right. said what for their mileage so they they you know anonymized it that probably mm-hmm. isn't a word but it no that it, is it, yep oh, that's correct well, it may yeah, yeah miscellaneous a word too i get it Ed. um <laughs> but the uh the, uh uh so so the, the insurance company did some prep of the data before they gave it to 
um, to Dan. But the problem is when we start thinking about the fraud triangle of opportunity, pressure, and rationalization, that's where things get so crazy because opportunity, did the, did the insurance company have the opportunity to fabricate the numbers? Absolutely, they did because the, the data was in their possession for a while. Did Dan Ariely have the opportunity to fabricate the data? He absolutely did because he was the sole, he was the sole point of contact for the insurance company with this, this anonymous insurance company. Um, so, so yes, that, so opportunity was there uh, and again, not questionable, but then you start thinking pressure who had pressure to modify this data. And, and mind you, this was some intricately modified data. When you start looking at the Calibri Cambria, uh, driving twins that they, that they identified that that's some, that is some labor intensive data modification. Yeah, the other, sure. the other stuff is maybe, maybe just being lazy where it's like, yeah, just, we'll just have a program say, you know, the distribution, just give us some random numbers. That could be, that could be lazy. Um, the, uh, the, the no rounding that could also be lazy, but once you get into the, to the, to the driving twins, that's where you start going. No, this is, there's something more that's going on here. This, this would have taken some, a lot of like, it, it was, it was premeditated. It was thought through and it was executed. Uh, and, and, and who, who was motivated? The, the insurance company, I don't see how they could possibly be motivated to, want to co- the, i if yeah. anything i would think that the insurance company is like no we really want to know is it going to help they're paying yeah. for this study to make them sure if it's going to help right yeah. cut down on fraud so absolutely, absolutely. But, but see i don't know if that's the case. i don't know if they were paying for the study i don't think oh they, okay i don't yeah. i don't, I, I that don't was, know if they did either yeah okay. yeah i think i think it was just purely a scientific study gotcha. so so again and i think he just talked them into it it was like hey i need this data can you give me this data and they're like okay we'll do that and he if anything he might have had to pay them to do to get the data from them. well they heard him talk about the whole his book you know okay and all that and and the ceo of this company came up to him uh, after the talk and said hey we've got some data that you could test and nice. gave him this idea okay that's, cool that's the way he told it in reno yeah nice Awesome. So, so, so regardless, so, so like I said, the company seems like they have a vested interest in seeing if it really works or not. And, and, in, in this whole, and, and in giving him good data, he has a vested, vested. So they want the actual answer. He has a vested interest in making it support what he's already said in other publications and in other, and in Ted talks and in everything else that he's done. So I go, who has, who has the, who has the motivation or the pressure to do it? It's not the insurance company. It's Dan Ariely. And then who? And then you get to rationalization, and that's that's the part that I find interesting because everything as I've analyzed Dan Ariely's research and ethics, all that it talk when when you when you map that to the fraud triangle, everything that he's doing is trying to minimize the rationalization side of the fraud triangle where it's like, I, you can't do, you know, opportunities, opportunity pressure might be there might not be. I I argue there's always pressure pressure to, to, you know, having, having more money is nicer than having less money. And that's, that is some modicum of pressure by itself. If, if you're, if you have a bookie who just called you and said, is it going to break your kneecaps? That's more pressure than just wanting more. But but there's never zero pressure. Um, so he's really focusing on rationalization, going back to the the thing of signing this thing of going is by signing a document, you are stating <clears throat> that you are going to be a good person. And it forces you to ask yourself the question, am I a good person? And you go, yeah, I am. And it reduces your rationalization. That's his whole his whole take on this stuff. That that's that's 
that's that's me analyzing him and putting it in in fraud triangle language and i start thinking if if some co- sort of reflection on a moral code is one of the biggest levers that's going to produce uh ethical behavior who who has who spends more time like wallowing around in the fact that being being good is good and being bad is bad than Dan friggin Ariely. And you go, if, if there's anybody who should be having honest reflections on moral code, like all the time, it's the guy whose job is to have honest reflections on moral codes all the damn time. And then, and that's where you go, Oh, maybe all of it's just bull crap then, because if it didn't work on him, then who's it going to work on? But as also someone who has a vested interest in Dan Ariely's research being correct, me, I, because I don't want to have to redo all my ethics curriculum. Ethics that, sure. That's hard. <laughs> so, so, but I, but, but here's the interesting thing I found uh, in, in myself. When I first saw that data of like a reflection on a moral code produces more ethical behavior, the first thing that came to my mind was when I was uh, in my MBA course, we, I did this, it's called a, uh, they called it an executive MBA program where we took exactly one class at a time. It was, it was very lockstep, the curriculum. And we, you'd take one class at a time and you, that you'd start and finish that class in five weeks. You'd spend four hours Friday night and four hours Saturday morning uh, in this class. So you could still have a day job while you're getting your MBA. And, and we had to do an ethics class. So we were five weeks of all I was doing was reading Harvard business review ethics papers for five weeks. And I will tell you, I started making amends like an alcoholic on step nine during that, because if all you're doing is just going, Oh, there's horrible people out there and I don't want to be one of them. And Oh my gosh, what, what have I ever done to be less than ethical? And you're like, I got to fix it. I got to make that right. And I go this, that's so reflecting on a moral code absolutely worked on me. And I have that very specific example that like, for, like, for instance, I mean, I'll, I'll, again, I don't mind pulling my pants down in public. I, I used to be, I used to be a math teacher, public school math teacher, and they had a big push for, for reading that. And every teacher, regardless of your subject, you had a, you had a, a silent sustained reading class every day that was like 20 minutes long and they had budget for it. So they had us go and buy books to stock a, a, a little mini library in your class. So that if a student came, like, I forgot my book. It's like, I don't care. Go grab one of those back there. And so I used that money to not so much buy books that were high interest for my students, but to buy books that were high interest for me. <laughs> you. And, uh, and because, but they, they never, they were just, and, and they kind of said that they said, make sure there are books you're interested in because we want to show students that we're, that we're passionate about reading too. So I kind of use that as my rationalization to go, okay, I can, I can buy South park, uh, South park and, uh, and philosophy. I can buy that book. Yeah. Is it above grade level? Yes. For everybody, including me, but am I going to get it for, for my, <laughs> for my eighth grade class? Yeah, absolutely. And then when I left, I, there, I went through that library and I was like, and I pulled out all the books that I go, nobody's ever going to read these ever again. And I took them with me when I left as a teacher, I, 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 uh, I misappropriated some assets from my, from the public school that I worked for. And when I was going through this class, I felt so damn, I mean, there was all, all already a seed of guilt that was in there And this class. Like 
inflamed that and i went back to school and i i cut him a check for like a few hundred dollars and just said hey i'm an accountant now i'm doing pretty good can i write you a check just to help support that silent sustained reading program and i wrote that and put it in and i go that's some proof that dan early is onto something even if it's not as broad-based as he likes to say it is yeah well, Greg, uh we'll pick this up on the other side too but um you know talking about blowing up your priors i mean uh, we've all used the example from Dan about the economist's three options yeah, and two options, and it, it calls into question that research. And I, because look, I just renewed the economist and they mm-hmm. don't do it the way he suggests. So that right. tells me they probably tried it. It didn't work. So that it blows up <laughs> that too. Mm-hmm. It, it, and it, this is part of a larger critique of behavioral economics from some very serious economists, one of which we've had on the show. Her name is Deirdre McClowski. She wrote a book called Bettering Humanomics. Okay. And she tears apart behavioral economics. I mean, if you want to read an incredibly sophisticated uh, critique of behavioral economics, uh, this book, Bettering Humanomics by Deirdre McClowski, is phenomenal. But in the meantime, folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at barrisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors and Ed's employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! Hey folks, Ed here. Ron is far too modest to tell you about his new book with Paul Dunn, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and do it. Scheduled to release on December 8th, Time's Up, the subscription business model for professional firms, is going to rock the world like the firm of the future did two decades ago. While you can't get the book until December, you can join the pre-order club by buying the book and sending us your receipt. Benefits start in August and will continue through February. For more details, visit thesoulofenterprise.com slash Time's Up. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
Welcome back, everybody. We're here with my hero, Greg Kite, and we're talking about behavioral economics. And Greg, I was telling you about uh, Deirdre McCloskey's book, Bettering Humanomics, just a couple things that she writes in here. Uh, she said, behavioral economists treat creative adults like a flock of little children. All we need to do is to observe their behavior, omitting for some reason, linguistic behavior. So, you know, very skeptical about uh, just doing these, especially these random controlled experiments where you take MIT students and other yeah. college students, bring them in the lab, pay them 10 bucks, whatever. This is hardly a representative sample. So when they try and replicate these studies, say, like on Mechanical Turk, which is the Amazon you know, website where people can be paid for doing, you know, experiments okay. like this. And that's a worldwide audience, by the way. So it's all cultures, most of the countries out there, probably not North Korea, but <laughs> they can't replicate a lot of these studies. So there is a rep, there is a huge replication crisis within behavioral economics. There's a huge yeah. replication crisis in all the social sciences, though. So it's not yes. limited to behavioral. Well, yeah, even in some of the medical. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, and that was that was one of the it sounds like I know the Economist article that you're talking about that you read about Dan Ariely's uh, problems in and and in that because I read that one as well. But that's where they reference the data Colada blog, which is weird, because even when you go there, your browser goes, this is not a secure site. Are you sure you <laughs> so they need to up their their blog game, their data Colada. But uh, but what, this is a, I, there was a fascinating quote that goes along with what you were just saying in terms of there kind of being an epidemic of of just uh, of what would you say like uh replication crisis replication. in the in, in yeah Replica it, well and it's even it's it's affecting the status of 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 eco of behavioral economics obviously yes, but, sure. but this is what they said they said scientific fraud is more common than is convenient to believe and it does not happen only on the periphery of science and i was like that makes me sad because because what what else we got besides that and uh and 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 so because again going back to what i said at the beginning as soon as i saw this i was like well where did dan publish the paper and it's like it was a peer-reviewed journal that he did mm -hmm. but apparently part of the peer review is not looking at the actual data you used to find your no assumptions Ru russ russ roberts talks about this a lot on his podcast econ talk and he says you know he always asks two questions on a of, of a published study is one how many how many um how many regressions did you run and okay. what data did you throw out okay yeah <laughs> Right. Torture well, the data long enough and it'll it will reveal what you sure. want to reveal. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and here's so here's the interesting thing. Like I said before, so they published the first paper. I can't remember what it was. And the follow up paper was 10 years later. And in the follow up paper, because, again, the follow up basically they rescinded everything they said in the in the first paper because because like we said they were unable to replicate it so they rescinded that stuff and then and they also at that point they they dumped the data from at least from the first study they might have dumped all the data from the from the follow up studies as well and that's where the data a lot of people got the the data where they they could you know where they found the the abnormalities and what another interesting suggestion that data Colada has is they say it should be a requirement among peer reviewed journals that when you publish a paper, you've got to publish your data as yeah. well. And I go, why not? What's the reason to not to do that? You and 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 as a dum dum who's not in the National Academy of Sciences, I I was more like, you mean they don't do that already? And <laughs> right. That, 
that's what blew my damn mind. And and even beyond that is you look at people like Dan Ariely and and Ron, you turned me on to a book. Um, the uh, uh, shoot, what was it? The, would you would you push the fat man? Oh is yes, that, the trolley, the trolleyology, yeah, trolleyology. And, yeah. And in there, they talk about the the ultimatum game, which we we right. won't get into that too much because we don't have time to. But but one of the findings they found from from their experiment was that if people had to be if they if they were anonymous if if you if you played this certain experiment because it was sort of a game you played with other people why it's called the ultimatum game if you didn't have any idea who you were playing if there was anonymity added to the ultimatum game people right. started being assholes and that was i mean that's not the scientific yeah. Jargon, but that's the Greg Kite jargon. <laughs> right, they turn right, into right. assholes when they were anonymous, and and the idea is if you and, and again, it's not it's not brain surgery to know that if you have to do stuff publicly, you're going to do it more ethically. Which even goes back. I mean, there's that famous quote. I don't even know who it is. Like it's George Washington or Jesus or somebody who's like do you know make all your decisions as if they're going to be published in the New York the Times New York or Times, something, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I think that was and, Jesus. I think that's. It, yeah. 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 So, okay. Yeah. I didn't know. I, 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 I always mix George Washington and Jesus up, and Jesus. but the, uh, cause whose birthday is coming up uh, anyways. Um, the, uh, the, but the thing is even, even the behavioral economists would say transparency is going to help your ethical behavior, behavior. but they weren't transparent right off the bat with what they were doing. So it's like, so, so all, and then, and then you get to the snake eating its own tail and you go, okay, the, the behavioral economics, know economists know this, but they don't do this. And so everything, so, so life is meaningless and pointless. And why do we do anything at all? Let's smoke some marijuana and have a out of body experience. I think that's the takeaway from today. Is that right? Is that a good place to close? Okay. <laughs> yeah, good. This you has know, been the soul of enterprise. I'm Greg Kite. You hear me in the commercials. <laughs> It's 420, really funny. episode 420. You know. It's really funny how they're trying to solve some of this replication crisis by, like you said, publishing the data. That's a big part of it. But also um, putting up their hypotheses before they even yeah. start the experiment. And, you're, you know, and again, under the heading of, you mean they don't? Like, I got points off I, in I, fifth grade I, science class right. if I didn't do that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I know. Yeah. I know. It's, it's absolutely amazing. But the incentive structure is so geared towards publish or perish to, you know, to further your academic career that, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge, it's a huge issue. Okay. And, and, and according to Russ Roberts on Econ Talk, he's brought on guests to talk about the same type of replication crisis within medical random controlled trials. I mean, we're talking mm, drug yeah. companies and, yeah. you know, serious trials on some of this stuff and they can't replicate it. Yeah. Okay. In in the interest of me wanting to be invited back on the show at some <laughs> point in the future, uh, uh, complete new topic, return free filing. Are you guys pro or, or against? Return free. That's where filing. that's where the government sends you uh, and says, "Here's your oh, tax here's what we oh, have on you." Your, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm in favor. I favor. I favor that. Ron, yeah, I favor it if we have okay. a simpler tax system. Okay. All right. Well, then it's because uh, I favor it too. So I thought we I thought we could have a good fight the next time I come. I come no. about well, I, I object to taxes. So you know. Okay. So they, right. They, so they, that's they, it. Well, <laughs> taxation I, is theft. Taxation is theft. So it's okay. uh, you know. All right. Well, I'll pitch you. I'll pitch you my idea for the next show uh, off the air. How's that that sound? sounds, okay. sound, sounds good. <laughs> awesome. Well, great. Right. Thank you so much for doing this. This was awesome. Uh, c continued uh, great work on the Oh My Fraud 
with uh, Caleb. That's a great podcast. Highly recommend it. And um, keep drinking on your ethics because you're younger than us, so you can get away with it. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Will do. Thanks, guys. I, and, All right. And you guys are my heroes. I love I love what you do. You you guys you guys changed my life professionally. Uh, 10 years ago and I wouldn't be on the trajectory I am if I didn't know you guys. So thanks. Thanks a million for being my, my friends. Awesome. Uh, Ed, what do we have next week? Next week, we have a rerun of auditing Santa. The week after that, we have a rerun of our favorite show of the year. So we will be back with our next live show on January 6th, which will be our year in review show for 2022. So I'll see you in 167 hours times three. Cause I yeah, can't plus two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Excellent. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us in three weeks, folks, after you listen to a couple of our repeats, uh, which will be great, we promise. And also, you can contact me or Ed at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for listening throughout the year, and we will see you in the new year.